Hey, do me a favor. Uh, if you have your Bibles, grab them. If you have a device, grab it. You can go to the ESV version of the Holy Bible, whatever app you use. You can turn to Revelation 21. Hey, if you're joining us for the first time, again, man, glad you're here. We are at the tail end of a series. It's been a short series for us called What We Believe. And what we're doing is just kind of stepping through our statement of faith. And we're coming to the tail end of it. This is our, this is our last week going through the statement. And then next week, we're going to wrap the whole thing um, by talking about this idea of belief and faith. What is belief? What, what is faith? It's one thing to say, hey, here's some words written down on paper. I believe those words. But what does that mean for us uh, tangibly? And we're, we're just going to unpack that next week as we wrap the series. But today, we're going we're gonna to finish up the actual statement of faith here as we look into Christ's return and our eternal destiny. So Revelation 21, I'm going to read the first four verses just to kind of launch us out into what it is that we're going to be unpacking this morning. This is what it, it says for us. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. We'll stop there. I'm going to, like we've been doing the last few weeks, man, I'm going to be moving through a lot of passages. I'm not going to make you turn to them all because I like you. Um, but I, at the very end, I am going to have us go through some, some significant passages for us as we wrap everything up. But two significant things are said here that lay the foundation for how we are to understand this thing called the return of Christ. And not only the return of Christ, but our response and what our destiny is for all eternity. The first is in verse 3. We just read it, which says, the dwelling place of God is with man. They will dwell with him and they will be his people. If you could describe the theme of the Bible in one sentence, it would be this, God with us. Emmanuel, the name of Jesus, God with us. What was the, re what's the reason for all of these words that we read every week? What's the reason for the scriptures that God has given to us to learn and to be changed by and, and to, to grow inside of us so that we know what his intentions are for our life. So we know something about the character of him. What's it all about if we can just wrap it up into three words? It's this, it's God with us. It's so that that separation that we have experienced from God since Adam and Eve fell would be healed. It would be brought back together. That's it. All of scripture goes back to Christ who is named Emmanuel, which means God with us. The second significant thing is in verse five, which says this, I am making all things new. These words are trustworthy and true. So again, Jesus came so that we could be reunited with God. 
and to accomplish this, that he had to reverse the curse of sin. That like first John, that in the book of 1 John, John tells us so that he could come to destroy the works of the devil. Now, the reason why I want this to be our backdrop as we just, again, very brief, in the most briefest of ways, um, step into what we believe about Christ's return is because it is likely that this was not the emphasis for many of you who grew up in the church. For many of you who did not grow up in the church, awesome in some ways, right, in terms of this. Boy, I just stepped into that one, didn't I? Um, If the subject of Christ's return was brought up, if you were somebody who grew up in the church, the emphasis may have been given to when Christ was going to return. And that Kirk Cameron and Nicolas Cage were the best actors we could get to represent that perspective on this whole thing. Now, look, man, I'm not, not killing Kirk or Nick. Great actors, kinda, right? Um, not trying to, uh, to destroy them or even shame you, by the way, uh, if things like, say, the Left Behind series played a formative role in how you were brought up to understand this thing called eschatology, which is really just the study of the end times or the end of the age. But I do want to make two comments to you as we're kicking this off, if that's your story, okay? And the first is this. The Left Behind series is not scripture and not incredibly accurate to what scripture actually teaches about the end times. And that's okay. Um, Secondly, those kinds of views tend to miss the point by getting our minds fixated on the wrong things. It's wrong to imagine that God wants his people to become distracted, listen to this, with all the particulars of his coming more than the person who is coming. That's going to be our emphasis this morning. You know, we were just able to uh, book our daughter Beth lives in Denver. We we're just able to book her tickets for Christmas. She's coming back. We're super excited about that, man. We're so looking forward to reuniting with her, for seeing her face, laughing, catching up, enjoying each other, hanging out, playing some games, eating some food, exchanging some gifts. Um, man, all those things we are going to do with her. They're super important. They matter a lot, but they don't matter as much as her, right? As long as she's there and as long as we're together again, man, the rest is just details. And honestly, we'll distract from her visit if we give them more attention than they deserve. Does that make sense? So what we want to look at right now is some of the details and ask this question, what are those? What are some of the details surrounding Christ's return and our eternal destiny? All right, so now I I got to do something here, which is a little strange. Um, If you were here last week, you heard me say that a statement of faith is not inspired scripture. It's not the same as inspired scripture. It's a statement that should be inspired by scripture. Right? And what that means is that because it's a statement that affirms what we believe to be true about what Scripture says, it means that we can edit it. It means that we can change it. It's not infallible, right? Here's a great example of what I'm talking about. If you turn to the back of your bulletin, and we have the two articles in our statement that we're going to be going through. And I just take this as the providence of God because the first one 
which says we believe in Christ's return is actually an older statement that got amended a couple of years ago. All right, so without getting in, dragged down to too many details, I'm just going to read this and I'm gonna tell you where we changed the statement. It says this, we believe in the personal bodily and premillennial return of our Lord Jesus Christ. The coming of Christ at a time known only to God demands constant expectancy and as our blessed hope motivates the believer to godly living, sacrificial service, an energetic mission. Now, there's nothing wrong with that statement of faith, even as it's written, as it was written with this word specifically that I'm going to key in on, which is called the premillennial return. Now, for some of you, you don't even know what that means. It sounds like some new Star Wars series that's going to drop on Disney Plus, you know, at Christmas, right? That's not what it is. But it's more speaking to the time of Christ's return. And so what our denomination, our fellowship of churches that we're all part of, the Evangelical Free Church of America, what they did was they amended this to say we believe in the personal, bodily, and glorious return of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the reason why they did that is because we want our statement of faith to revolve around what, what is essential to what we believe about God. And when we talk about sort of something that is related to timing, which is what this word premillennial means, it kind of it puts an emphasis on something that is not super helpful. And why is that? Well, because there are good people, brothers and sisters in the faith, that have different ideas about the when, about when Christ returns, whether it's a premillennial return or an amillennial return or a postmillennial return. Some of you guys, your head's already nodding down. Hold on, we're going to get out of this here in a minute. Um, but because I made a mistake and I, I, I printed this up wrong in the back of the bulletin, I think, I think it's providential because it allowed me to say, kind of emphasize what we talked about last week with our statement of faith. What it does is it allows us to center more on what we mean when we talk about the coming of Christ, which is who? Christ, right? And that's what our statement of faith wanted to amend and they did two years ago and a lot of people are far more happy and a few are not too happy about it, right? I would be one of the happy ones about that, just so you know, and if you were, you were wondering. So that is article nine for us as I just read it. So what do we need to know then about uh, Christ's return? Well, the first thing our statement tells us is that it's going to be personal and bodily because that's what scripture tells us. First Thessalonians 4.16, listen to this verse. It says this, for the Lord himself is how it starts will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. So the Lord himself is going to return. And then in Acts 1.11, we remember when Jesus ascended into the heavens and the disciples were just sort of standing there, you know, as one does when Christ ascends, just staring up into the clouds. And an angel said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? Basically, he was asking them, what, what are you doing right now? Then he goes on to say, this Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So what we're getting is the sense from scripture that the same way that the Lord came the first time, he's going to come the second time. Philippians 3 verse 20 says, but our citizenship is in heaven and from it, listen to this, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ himself, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. 
by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. So this is what we need to know when we think about the return of Christ is that he's gonna come back personally and he's gonna come back with the body that he had when he came down to earth as the incarnated Christ, as the second person of the Trinity, as God himself. So Christ is not sending, sending his handlers right ahead of him when he comes back. He came to us the first time personally and bodily. And he will come to us the same way the second time. Why? Well, because he is the God who is with us. He's going to finish what he started. Let me just say this. Man, as you just even imagine that, whatever picture comes into your mind as we read those passages, let that fill you with hope. Let that fill you with anticipation when you remember that the one who came to die and be raised on your behalf will return to gather with you personally and bodily for all eternity. It's the person and work of Jesus Christ. It's like we remember when Thomas faced Jesus after he was risen. And Thomas is just a guy, he's just struggling. He's like us. He's saying, I know he's risen. I know what I've heard. I know what other people are saying they saw. But man, this is hard for me. Then Jesus shows up. And he's like, Thomas, it's cool. Why don't you just, why don't you feel the, the marks in my hands and in my side? Like I'm a real person who experienced the death and the resurrection that I experienced. This helps us understand again that Jesus was fully God and fully man, we believe that. So what do we need to know? Well, that he was, he's gonna come back personal and bodily. The second thing that we might wanna talk about just for a minute is when will Christ return? Well, to quote the Beach Boys, God only knows, right? It's not wrong to want to know when Christ will return, right? What can be wrong is seeking knowledge God has not intended for us to have. Mark 13, 32 through 33, which is one of the clearest passages about this idea that we cannot know when Christ is coming back that gets conveniently forgotten every time books come out from people saying they can predict when he's coming back. This is what it says. But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Then he finishes it with this. Be on guard, keep awake. For you do not know when the time will come. I don't, I mean, I'm, I'm, still, I'm still in seminary and I'm, not the, I'm never the brightest guy in the room but that's about as plain and as simple as it gets. We do not know. In fact, we are warned in scripture that it's false prophets who will come to try to deceive people by claiming that they know the time of his coming. And that time, by the way, is described by the Apostle Paul as something that will come like a thief in the night. We cannot know when he will come, but we need to be prepared for whenever he does come. That is our charge, 
That is our call. And this teaches us something. This teaches us to wait with expectancy because we don't know. It teaches us to wait in hope because of who we know is coming. And it teaches us to wait with faith because we know that our circumstances around us are going to cause us to believe that this cannot be true. If God had wanted us to know, he would have told us because everything that he's put in his scripture was put there intentionally to give us the knowledge that he desired for us to have. He didn't. He didn't give us the when. So we trust his reasoning for not telling us. So Christ is going to return personal, bodily, when we don't know, but we're called and we're charged to keep awake and to be alert and to be expectant and to be hopeful and to have faith. When you think about it, it's actually much better than if we knew the day. If we knew the day, what would that say about the level of expectancy and hope and faith that wouldn't necessarily need to grow in us because of the knowledge we would have? So it's interesting that this is what the Lord chose to do for the sake of his glory, for the sake of our good. And what is our good? But to have a faith that is growing as it gives glory to God. Does that make sense? Article 10, why don't you look down at the back of your bulletin. It says this, the final article in our statement of faith. We believe in response and eternal destiny. Why don't we just read this together? We believe that God commands everyone everywhere to believe the gospel by turning to him in repentance and receiving the Lord Jesus Christ. We believe that God will raise the dead bodily and judge the world, assigning the unbeliever to condemnation and eternal conscious punishment and the believer to eternal blessedness and joy with the Lord in the new heaven and the new earth to the praise of his glorious grace. Amen. So how should we respond? Well, God commands us to respond. Isn't that interesting that we don't have really a choice? So in the sense that not a response is a response, we are commanded by God to respond. In John 6, 29, it tells Jesus answering um, the people saying, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. So when Jesus is calling people to believe in him, it's actually not a suggestion Right? It's a command. It's saying you as creatures who have been created by a creator, your charge, your call, your command is to actually believe the words of the one who created you. We are to believe in Jesus. Again, we're going to unpack what that means a little bit next week. But that's our command. Secondly, we are to believe the gospel and to turn to God in repentance. That's part of our response. Mark 1 verse 14, it tells us, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Your call, my call, if we haven't yet done so, is to repent and believe the good news. That's what the gospel 
word means. The good news that we can have salvation. Thirdly, we are to receive the Lord Jesus Christ. John 1 verse 12 says, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave, listen to this, the right to become children of God. Imagine being adopted into the family of God and becoming, as Paul says in Ephesians 3, partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. That's the invitation to receive the Lord Jesus Christ, to receive the one who spoke light into existence into your life so that that same light would shine. That same light of truth would shine out. That same light of grace and mercy and love would shine from your heart. It's kind of like receiving an invitation to a party. And when you arrive at the house, the host says, my house is your house. Everything in it is yours. Why? Because you accepted my invitation. We are to receive the Lord Jesus Christ. Secondly, what is our eternal destiny given everything that we just discussed about receiving and believing the gospel? Well, here's just some, some things that we can unpack from our statement here. The first one is this. God will raise the dead bodily, right? Acts 24, 15 tells us having a hope in God, which these men themselves accept that there will be a resurrection of both the just and the unjust. Now, now what that means for us and why it's important is that God values his creation. That's why it's important to know that God is going to raise us bodily. It's not like the way we, you know, sometimes we make a meal and it goes wrong on us. We make a dessert, right? And the whole thing collapses, right? And what do we do? We go, oh man, this is a mess. And we throw it away. We are embodied souls. God created us with actual physical bodies. That's important to him. Should be important to us. But he created us as embodied souls and Christ came to redeem them, not just spiritually, but physically as well. How do we know this to be true? Because that's how Christ was raised. He didn't just come up as a spirit. But when he left the tomb, he was walking. He was talking. He was eating. He was drinking. He was engaging with other people. That is our hope and our future. Secondly, we're told here that God will judge the world. Jesus spoke of a day of judgment which, man, is hard for us in our, in our day, in our age, to get our minds wrapped around. But he spoke of a day of judgment, which, by the way, is necessary if good is to triumph over evil. A day of judgment is necessary if God's will is to be done on earth as it is in heaven. A judgment is necessary if the justice that we all long and crave for will ever prevail. There has to be a day of judgment that brings glory to God by displaying the nature of his holiness. And scripture is very clear that God will judge the world. And here's, here's some of the 
Here's some of the, the, the sensitive nature of that that we're going to get into here for a minute, which is, well, if that's true, then what is the fate of the unbeliever? Well, our statement tells us that it's condemnation and eternal conscious punishment because that's what we learn from Scripture, which is a stark reality that has to be addressed. I wouldn't be a gospel preacher if I just conveniently skipped over that bad news. There wouldn't be a good news if we didn't understand what the bad news was about the place that our sin brings us to. If you pass, listen, if you pass into eternity without reconciling with God by placing your trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, you will face an eternity separated from God. Jesus told the religious leaders, the hypocrites in Matthew 23, he said, you serpents, he said, you brood of vipers, how are you to escape from being sentenced to hell? How does one escape? How does one escape from the place that our sin puts us into, which is under God's judgment? How do we escape? Paul tells us in Romans 2, for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. So that is sobriety for us. That's not something I say with a big smile on my face and then tell a funny story. And that gets us part and parcel, deeply intertwined with the message of the gospel, which is that it does not have to be so because of Jesus Christ. But that is the reality of the day every one of you were born and breathed your first breath. If that's the case, then how do we understand this thing called hell? Since we affirm here at the church that the Bible teaches it is a real place. Well, here's what we'd say about hell. We would say that hell may be understood as a culmination of the effects of sin and the confirmation of God's opposition to it. It is both the inexorable result of human choice and the active and deliberate judgment of God. So we believe that there is a place of eternal conscious torment because the Bible is just super clear about it. Because if we had more time, we could kind of unpack all the places that Jesus talked about a real hell and warned people about a real hell because of the judgment of God that comes down upon people that have not submitted their life to Jesus Christ. Gosh, I know when I drive down I-71 and I see these signs on the side of the road that says hell is real, you know, I kind of want to tear down those signs because I don't think that's great messaging, but it's not untrue. So there's something about something that's true. There's something about the way that we want to communicate something that's true. The way the Bible communicates something is true for us is that it gives us the actual truth of it. But then what it's permeated in 
is the grace and the love and the mercy of Jesus Christ. See, the problem with those signs on I-71 down by Grove City is they're not. They're just a sign and they're stark. But the Bible gives us this stark reality and then it says, but come to Jesus because that doesn't have to be your reality. It doesn't have to be your end. What your reality can be is what the fate is of the believer, which is eternal blessedness and joy with the Lord. Heaven is where we will spend eternity with Jesus, where we're told in Matthew 13, the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. So for the righteous, for those who've placed their faith in Christ, and there's a future with Christ. That is the hope. That is what we're focusing on when we think about who Christ is returning to gather with him at the end of the age. And everybody here can be a part of that. That's the good news. So let's spend the rest of our time here just unpacking a little bit what is the call for those of us who are waiting for the return of Christ. Turn to Mark 13. You want to make a hard left. Go to the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke. Mark 13, 32. I'm going to start reading as you get there. But I still want you to get there. The first thing that we're called to do, and there's many things. I picked three things. The first thing is to stay awake. Stay awake. Mark 13, 32. But concerning that day or the hour we read this a minute ago, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard. Keep awake, for you don't know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening, or at midnight, or when the rooster crows, or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake, be awake. The Lord has called us to be an awake church. Let's be awake. Let's be aware of what's going on. Let's be aware of how the Lord is speaking to us and moving us and shaping us and the urgency that comes with that. Don't let the cares of the world just choke those things out. Be alert. Be awake. You know what part of being alert and awake is? Is not being drawn to conspiracy theories, Christians. That's part of being awake, not being drawn into things that pulled you further from the person and work of Jesus Christ. Stay awake. Be asleep to those things that pull you from the truth and the goodness and the reality of what Jesus has said in his word. Secondly, Turn to James chapter 5. That's going to be a hard right. James chapter 5. Secondly, be patient. James 5 verse 7 tells us to be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains 
And James says, you also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. So it's very similar to the message in Mark 13. Stay awake and be patient. And we'll read a little bit more of what that looks like for us because we know we can be patient as we trust the promises of God. And thirdly, turn to Titus chapter 2, verse 11. We want to stay awake. We want to be patient. We want to live godly lives. We want to live godly lives as we are staying awake, as we're waiting for the coming of the Lord. Titus 2 verse 11 says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. So again, we don't just stand back. We don't build a bubble over the warehouse. We don't just crouch down in fear, just waiting for the Lord to come back so that we don't have to deal with the world and the direction that the world is taking, the same direction it's been taking since Genesis chapter 3. We stay awake, we are patient, we live godly lives by the strength and the power of the Holy Spirit given to us by the grace of Christ. And then we can depend on Christ in those moments because he keeps his promises. One more passage I'm going to have you turn to, 2 Peter chapter 3. Second Peter 3, verse 8, it says, But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but he is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, that all should reach repentance. The Lord will keep his promises. When we talk about the return of Christ and our response and our eternal destiny, it doesn't have to be something that we cower back in fear in. Because we understand that the Lord is moving forward with a plan that we've only been given just a fraction of details about. And we also know that the way that we even view time, the way that we even view um, the way events are supposed to unfold in our humanness is not at all the way God in his infiniteness sees how he unfolds his plan. He is not slow to fulfill his promises. So we can trust him. We can believe him. So let me finish on this. What is it that keeps a person from spending eternity with Jesus so that they may be able to anticipate with eagerness the coming of the Lord? Well, let me just say this. It's not being an adulterer. It's not being a fornicator, a drug addict, a porn addict, an alcoholic, a murderer, 
or just being a, a bad person with evil thoughts. That's not what keeps a person from spending eternity with Jesus. You know what it is? It's self-righteousness. It's self-righteousness. It's believing that you possess the moral uprightness to stand before God and be declared righteous apart from Jesus. It's not receiving the invitation from God to love his son Jesus and trust your life to his hands and his heart. You can turn here, but I'm gonna read one more passage out of Luke uh, chapter 14, which gives us a great illustration. It's a parable. And Jesus said, a man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I bought a field and I, I gotta go out and see it. Please have me excused. Another said, I bought my first yoke of oxen and I, and I have to go examine them. So please have me excused. Another said, Married a wife, therefore I cannot come. So, verse 21, the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. And the servant said, sir, what you commanded has been done and still there is more room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and the hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. Many of the people I just described when I said adulterers and porn addicts and alcoholics and bad people, they're going to spend eternity with Jesus and are waiting for his return. Why? How? Because they've acknowledged their sin. They've received the forgiveness of Jesus. Those people I just described are members of Substance Church. In the end, it is not what you've done. It is who you are. Are you a son? Are you a daughter of God? who has received the invitation Jesus offers to be reunited with God, if that's you, then you have so much to look forward to. I look forward to seeing my daughter at Christmas, not because I've earned the right to see her. I haven't. But because... I'm her dad, and I love her. And that is how we are tied together from now until the end of time. That is the invitation for us who want to wait with hope and expectancy for the coming of Christ. It's, is God your father? Are you connected with Jesus through his death and resurrection? Have you died to your sin? Have you received his grace? That's the invitation. That's what will qualify you to be with Jesus and to eagerly await his return. Amen.
Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for such, so great a salvation in Christ. Lord, we thank you that we can hope and await your return with eagerness and with faith. So continue to grow that expectancy in us, Lord, and draw people that aren't yet sons and daughters of our Heavenly Father. Draw them to you in repentance and faith, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.